Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning. We continue our study of the big picture, an overview of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18. The children of Israel have been given their land. They found a place to be their own. They've inherited it. They've been given the promises of God, and God has challenged them and encouraged them to stay faithful. We looked last week in the period of the judges how the children of Israel rebelled against God, but God used judges to call them back to himself, but then they'd go back into that same cycle of sin and rebellion. And that cycle of the children of Israel rebelling And then God bringing his retribution, and then the children of Israel repenting, and then God restoring them. That cycle goes over and over through the book of Judges and through the books of the kings. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Those books that that give us the picture of Israel in the kingdom. So I want us to read this passage of scripture to set the stage. First Kings 18, verse 16 to begin with. Obadiah went to meet Ahab, who is the king, by the way. And report to him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Elijah's God's prophet. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer of Israel? And he replied, I have not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commandments and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me. Elijah's pretty bold here. Summon all of Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. This story is just one that I've chosen out of the entire section of Scripture that deals with the kingdom. When God gave the people the land and he gave the judges for them to rule, God's plan was to be their king, but the people cried out and said, no, we want a king just like all the other peoples around us. Here was the cry of the people of God. We'd like to be like everybody else. Does that sound familiar? So God said, okay, I'll give you a king, and he gave them Saul as a king, and Saul seemed like a great person. He was the people's choice. He would have won awards today. But Saul disobeyed God, and then we have David and Solomon. We have that period of the the glory days of Israel, the kingdom. But then the story tells us, as these chapters of the Word of God tell us, that the children of Israel rebelled against God, and God brought judgment. and, And first of all, he brought the Assyrians in, who took away the northern kingdom. And he brought the, there was a split in the kingdom. First of all, you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And then he brought the Assyrians in. And later we'll look at next week how he brings in other peoples, the Babylonians, to take the people into captivity. But during that time when the kingdom was split, as you read your Bible and read these sections, you might find the Bible speaking of of Israel and then speaking of Judah. Uh, When the Bible in this context of these chapters in the history of Israel speaks of Israel, it's usually speaking of the northern kingdom. 
And then there's Judah, the southern kingdom. Israel themselves couldn't, the people couldn't even get along. So they split up. Does that sound familiar? You have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and about 19 kings uh, governed each one of those. And these books of the Bible, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and the Chronicles, give the record of those kings. And throughout that time, at each one of those, those kingdoms, God sent prophets. We have Jeremiah, and we have Isaiah, and we have people like... Uh, Amos and Micah and, and even Elijah who preached to the people and challenged the people to follow God. So they would come and they would say, you've rebelled against God. And the people would say, yeah, you're right, we have. And so they would be restored. And then God would have them and tell them, need to follow me. And then they would rebel again. And God would send another prophet in and he would say, you've rebelled against God. And they'd say, yes, we repent. And they'd be restored. And it went over and over. Well, I just picked one prophet out of that entire section of scripture just to look at one story because I believe it's a story that speaks truth about God's plan and purpose for them and God's plan and purpose for us. This story of Elijah at Mount Carmel. Elijah is challenging King Ahab of the northern kingdom, a wicked king. Ahab says, Elijah, you're the one that's provoked Israel. And Elijah says, no way, buddy. That's Kevin's paraphrase. He says, no way, Ahab, you're the one who's troubled Israel, you and your father's house. In other words, Elijah says to this king, you're doing what all the other kings have done. You're following the prophets of Baal. You're following paganism. And he calls them to, he summons them to come to Mount Carmel in verse 19. 450 of Baal's prophets, 400 of Asherah's prophets, so Possibly 850 prophets there. Some say prophetesses, but the, the prophets are there representing paganism. They had so captured the hearts of Israel. I, I want you to get this. That religion of Baal worship, the fertility gods and goddesses and Asherah worship, had so captivated that nation that there were 850 prophets in that nation proclaiming that religion. That ought to cause you to say, Wow. So Elijah summons them. We're going to read the story, okay? And I'm going to stop whenever I feel led to make a comment, okay? That wasn't supposed to be funny. I'm not sure what that's about. Verse 20, let's just pick up there. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. And Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, or the Lord, this Yahweh is a personal name for God. If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Not only does Elijah want to say to the prophets of Baal and to Ahab and to Jezebel that God's bigger than you, he wants the people of God to be there to witness this. So you have Elijah... You have all these prophets of paganism there, and then you have the people of God who've been gathered around. And so Elijah just challenges them right there. I mean, he hadn't even got to the good stuff yet. But he asked them, who are you going to serve? Remember back in Joshua, what did Joshua say? As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Here, there was dead silence. If it was a reality TV show, you'd hear crickets. Have you noticed that? Whenever they want you to know there's a silent time on those reality shows, you hear the kick, 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 the crickets. That's all you could hear. No response from the people. You, they didn't answer a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord. The Baal's prophets are 450 men. Two bulls will be given to us. 
They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on wood, but not light the fire. So here's what Elijah says. The people were familiar, the children of Israel were familiar with bringing an offering to the Lord, a burnt offering. Apparently the people of the, of the Baal and Asherah knew what it was to bring a sacrifice to the Lord too. They're God with a little g. So he says, here's what we'll do. You build this sacrificial altar to your God with a little g, to your Baal, who was supposed to be in charge of the lightning and thunder and the weather. Interesting. And you sacrifice that bull there. You put it there in front of your pagan God. And Israel, we'll get a bull. And we'll sacrifice it. We'll put it on an altar right there also. But do not light the fire. Verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God. Little g. And I will call on the name of Yahweh, the God who answers with fire. He is God. So here's what Elijah says. You call on your God because you think he's, he's God. I know he isn't, but you go ahead, try it. And I'll call on my God, and we'll just know whichever God answers by fire, that's the true God. Talk about stepping out there in faith and putting, putting, drawing a line in the sand and saying, okay, God, here it is. Well, I just I want to talk so much here. Can you remind me? No, I'll just tell you right here because we'll forget. I'll forget. My son was witnessing to a Muslim man in, in the airport a couple of years ago, and this man definitely had never really accepted the truth of Scripture or the Bible. So Cameron just says to him, I'll tell you what, you pray for 30 days for God to show himself to you. If God doesn't show himself to you, then you don't have to believe in him. We prayed for that guy. I don't know what God did in his life, but that's what Elijah does. Elijah has so much faith, he says, we're going to pray, and God's going to show up. I love that. Now, look at the last part of verse 24. Now all the people answered, that sounds good. What changed the people from, from them not willing to say, we're going to identify with God? I don't know what changed their mind, but I have, a, I have a feeling that it was Elijah's faith. I have a feeling that not only did he say to them, you better choose, he said, I'm choosing right here. We're going to see what happens. So they thought that looked like a good idea. Verse 25 then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull and they gave it that he, they gave him them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound, no one answered. Isn't that interesting? Then they did their lame dance. I love that. They, their lame dance around the altar that they made. Baal worship had incorporated in it a pagan dance, a ritual. And so they did their pagan ritual dance, and nothing happened. At noon, verse 27 says, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over, or maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's on the road, or perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. Call, call louder, because maybe your god with a little g is asleep. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's preoccupied. They shouted loudly. They cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed out. Many cultures do that today. Many forms of Islam and other religions, the, the men gain this, 
this acceptance with their God by cutting themselves with swords and, and whips with uh, stones and sharp things in them. Just, just to bleed so they can say, God will be favorable with me. That's exactly what they were doing. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. Did you know that? Satan's tactics are the same. He'll distort people and disturb people and lead them to do things. They think they're doing something new, but it's what they've always done. So they're bleeding. They're so frantic and so frenzied. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Isn't that good? Who's the no one? It's a no one. They're God. I can just see Elijah. Your God's a nobody. But we don't have that here. That would be extra biblical revelation. We don't have that here, okay? Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him. These are the people of Israel. They came, they approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. See, the people had been so immersed in paganism and Baal worship that they'd allowed the Lord's altar to be torn down. Probably up at Mount Carmel, there were many altars to Baal, just like the other high places throughout Israel. So he rebuilds the altar. Very important. Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name, when God called Jacob Israel. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. That's important. He built his altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, and he cut up the bull, and he placed it on the wood. Okay, you think, okay, what's fair is fair. He told the Baal worshipers, put the ox on the, the, the bull on the fire or on the wood. You call out and let your God answer. He didn't, so we'll do the same thing. But he does even more. Not only does he put the bull on the fire, not only does, I mean on the wood, not only does he get it all arranged, he tells the people, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. It's not real smart. Is it? How many of you, when you're ready to start a barbecue, pour water on the fire? I mean, on the coal. We're going to smoke some brisket tonight. Bring me some wet mesquite. If it's not wet enough, let's soak it a while. That's what he does. Then he said, verse 34, a second time, and they did it a second time. And then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and even filled the trench with water. Why is Elijah doing that? I believe he just wants to make sure that nobody could say, well, it was just a spark. It was already kind of glowing, you know, how people try to explain away miracles. Not only does he want God to light a fire, he wants God to light a fire with wet wood. That's pretty good. At the time of the evening sacrifice, or the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Y'all, this, this prayer is incredible. Don't miss this. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that all your word that I have done and and that at your word I, I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer this, not so I'll get off the hook, not so it'll make me look good, but I want you to answer God so that the people will know that you're God and so that the people will know that you still love them. Verse 38, then 
Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the bull, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Yo, when God does something, he does it right. You talk about thorough. No question about it. Verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. What a, what a transformation from who you going to serve Silence to Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let even one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. By the way, we're not going to read any more, but God not only did that, but he brought the rain. You see, there had been a, a drought for three years because God had led Elijah to pray that God would withhold the rain. Let's look at some principles Pastor, I thought you'd never get there. So we have a showdown. It's not Elijah versus Ahab. It's the God of the universe versus false gods. Number one, the first truth, disobedience brings consequences. Disobedience brings consequences. The children of Israel had disobeyed God, therefore he allowed, he caused Elijah to pray that there would not be rain for those three years, and there was no rain. There was drought, and the people were hurting. Elijah steps on the scene, and he's able to point the people back to God. First truth of this passage, consequences are the result of sin and disobedience. Folks, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted it to. Our sins were judged at Calvary, and and Christ gave his life to pay the price for our sins at the cross. But I tell you what, even though we're saved, even though we're forgiven, there's still going to be consequences for us as a people of God. Lives can be messed up. Churches can be hindered. Things can happen. There are consequences to sin. Praise God, our chains are are gone. We've been set free. We've been forgiven. But as a people of God, there's still going to be consequences to sin as we live in this world. If you don't know Christ as Savior, the ultimate consequences of your sin is separation from God for eternity. I read about a 10-year-old Bolivian boy who was trying to reach his mother, and he decided he'd climb on this container that was being put on a truck to go about 70 miles to where she was. And So he climbed on the container, and the truck took off. The only thing is it went the other direction. 600 miles away in Chile, northern Chile, the, the truck finally stops, and the kid gets out of the container. He's totally lost. He had no idea by getting on that container it was going to take him that far away in the wrong direction. Christian, be careful. You have no idea when you step out of the will of God how far it's going to take you in the wrong direction. Number two, God uses those droughts to prepare us. God uses spiritual droughts. He uses financial droughts. He uses emotional droughts. Have you ever been in one of those places? In a, in, a, in a a fog, he uses all of those droughts to prepare us for what he's about to do. Everything for those years that God was withholding a word from them and withholding rain from them and withholding his blessing from them, it was to get them ready that he was setting the stage that he was about to do something great. Like my wife prays all the time, God, we just want you to show off. That's what he was about to do. God had to set the stage. You don't appreciate the air conditioning until you sit without it for a while. Right? 
Yeah. Whenever we've had trouble with air conditioning, people have said, well, Pastor, just turn off all the air conditioning. People will give and we can, we can fix new ones and stuff, but we won't do that. At least we haven't yet. But you do appreciate the air, don't you? When, when you realize how hot it could be. God says to the children of Israel, I want you to know what it's like not to have my blessing. I want you to know what it's like not to be where you have rain for your crops and food. Because I'm going to prepare something. I'm going to show you how good it can be when you obey me. God uses droughts to prepare us. Number three, man's rebellion apart from God will never do. I'm sorry, man's religion apart from God will never do. 850 prophets of Baal. Boy, that's religious. All of the altars to Asherah and Baal built, that's religion. All their activity of running around and cutting themselves and shouting out and dancing and screaming to their God with a little G, that's religion. Lots of activity but no results. Man's religion apart from God will never do. Be careful, Christ followers, that you don't leave behind the way you entered the faith, which is by grace, and begin to try to make yourself better for God by your works and your activity. God is not impressed with all our activity. God is not impressed with our schedule. When he looks at the back of the bulletin or the inside and he looks at the calendar, he doesn't say, way to go, Coastal Oaks. Put some more things on the calendar and I'll love you even more. Say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. That's how some folks think. The more we do, the better God's gonna love us. God just says, I want your hearts. Religious activity isn't the answer. It's that relationship with God that counts. Number four, we cannot fully be the people of God without the power of God. We cannot fully be the people of God without the power of God. Elijah's prayer to God demonstrates that it is God and God alone who answers, who intervenes. That demonstrated to all of the children of Israel who are gathered around that the God they serve, the God they worship, is a God of power and might. He's the one who's alive and well and living and active. Is God active in your life? Can you see it? Is there evidence that God's up to something? I'll tell you what he is. You just may not see it. God's power is there. I think it's so interesting that they didn't even realize where they were when, when he asked them in verse uh, 21, how long are you going to be living with one foot in the, in, in the worship of God and one foot in worship of Baal? How long are you going to be between those two opinions? How long are you going to ride the fence? And they didn't answer a word. They were in the neutral zone. Neutral's a good thing sometimes. But when you're running a race, driving a race car, I learned by experience when you're on a motorcycle and you're trying to race someone, when you, hit a, when you skip and hit neutral by mistake and miss a gear, it's, it's devastating. You've seen those drag racers that rev all up and they go and then they just sit still and you wonder what happened? Neutral. Neutral's not always a good thing, especially when God says, what are you going to do with me? Well, I think I'll live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and I can ride this thing. I'm pretty good at it. Right? How low can he go, right? (laughs) 
Listen, if you've got one foot saying, I'm going to follow you, Lord, and one foot, I'm going to keep my lifestyle the way I like it, eventually, there's going to be a problem. Eventually, those two are not going to be compatible. And you're kidding yourself if you think they are. God's power is only manifested when the people of God say, God, we 100% are with you. No divided loyalties, no if-onlys, no part of the time, 100% totally surrendered and yielded to God. That's where the power of God is manifested in lives. Number five, is that what we're on? Hindrances must be removed. To see the power of God, to see God work in the life of a believer, the life of a church, the life of a nation, hindrances have to be removed. Those high places, those bail altars had to be torn down, just like Gideon had to do when we looked at it in the book of Judges. Elijah started fresh. It says here that he built a new altar. He built an altar to the Lord, not using anything that was involved with the Baal worship. It was all for the Lord. You have to get out the hindrances. Even after the fire fell, God led Elijah to uh, eliminate all of the prophets of Baal, like, like a cancer, to cut them out of that society which was needed. Sometimes we question, why would God tell them to do that? Well, it, it's like a person who has gangrene in their leg. The doctor says there's no hope. If we want to save the person's life, we have to amputate. It's not easy. No one likes it, but it's how you save a person's life. That's what God was doing when he judged sin with the prophets of Baal. Hindrances have to be removed. Whatever in your life is keeping you from walking in obedience, get it out of your life. Number six, being available to God may mean giving up what is precious to me. Being available to God may mean I have to give up something that's precious to me. Elijah put his life on the line when he challenged Ahab and challenged the prophets of Baal. He put his reputation on the line when he stood for God. He called the people, and it's debatable, but I I have a feeling that this is what happened. He called the people to get fresh water to put on the altar in the days of drought. It's as if God said, take the most precious thing you have, water, and let's douse this altar. Some have said, well, no, they went to a near, the nearby sea and they got salt water and used that. Well, even if they did, it was a sacrifice for them to go and get it and bring it back. It's not going to be easy when God calls you to take a stand for him, but you have to be available. He may call you to give some things up. Someone said, never underestimate the influence of a totally dedicated life for Christ. Totally. Everything set aside, whatever it is, get it out of your life. Number seven, God shows up when we trust him completely. That's what he did for Elijah. God shows up when we trust him completely. Let's just go back and look at his prayer again, okay? In verse 36 and 37. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant. And that at your word I've done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me, that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Answer me, God, so that they will know. 
God comes through when Elijah trusts him completely. God comes through in your life when you trust him completely. God will come through if you'll trust him for salvation. God will come through if you're a believer when you trust him to work in your life, but you have to trust him. Someone said, I think Max Lucado said, if there are a thousand steps between us and God, he will take all but one. He will leave the final step for us. God has done everything for us. He has provided heaven for us, salvation in Christ. You don't know him as Savior. He's left that final step to you to step out and to say, Lord Jesus, I receive you by faith. If you're a Christ follower, he's prepared the way to work in your life, but he's leaving it up to you to surrender that habit or to surrender that thought or to surrender that relationship or to surrender that part of your lifestyle to him that doesn't please him. He's left it up to you because he wants to work in your life and he wants to show you that he's a great and mighty God. God shows up when we trust him. A Fuller Seminary student from Ghana, West Africa, came over to the United States to study in their Doctor of Ministry program and he was sharing a story about how he had gone home to West Africa there in Ghana and, and had gone to his, his original hometown to share Christ and as he went and began to share Christ with people that everybody was very polite but no one was responding to the gospel and he thought that was unusual because in that culture they do and, and so he started investigating and found out that there was a witch doctor who had had a hold on that whole community and he demonstrated his authority over them by hanging a basket outside his house full of water a basket full of water, and the water never leaked out. It never leaked through the seams of the basket. And that was his hold on them. So this seminary student who'd gone home to share Christ said, well, that's not right. So he went to the outside of this witch doctor's home, and he just began to pray, God, empty the water out of that basket. Show them that you're God. Show them, show them that that water's not in that basket by any miracle of a false God. Show them that you're God so that they'll trust you. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed all night long, and he fell asleep. And there outside the witch doctor's house, he prayed for that basket to be empty. And he was awakened the next morning by this commotion. The whole community was rallying around. You know what had happened? The basket was empty. The water had fallen out of the basket. A revival broke out in that town, and the people came to know Christ. Here's what they said. We want to trust the God who made the water fall out of the basket. That's what God wants to do. There may not be a basket in your life. There may not be a, an altar like this. But I tell you what, God's wanting to do something in your life so that the people around you can say, wow, I want the God that did that. I want the God who serves, who they serve. I want to know what they have. And you can simply share, what I have is Jesus. He gave his life for me. Let's pray together.